0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. This morning we come to uh, our sixth week uh, of Easter as we continue our series, A Body of Evidence. Now in this series, uh, we are actually collecting evidence about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are not necessarily collecting evidence to prove that he was crucified or that he was raised from the dead. But rather, this body of evidence we're collecting is to point to the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And in resurrection, he was not given his old life back, but rather he was given an entirely new life, one radically different from any other life and from his former life, one that would never again experience or face death. Which means that we are collecting evidence that Jesus is very much alive and that his life is still very present here on this earth. In fact, I like to think of these evidences as enduring evidences that are going to outlast time. And so far, we have collected four evidences that we put together in this body of evidence. This first evidence and the largest evidence is the church, or what the Scripture calls, the body of Christ. Collectively, you and I become the physical presence of Jesus here on this earth. The second evidence we talked about was Christian unity, and Christian unity is diverse unity. So the Scripture teaches that we have been made into one New humanity through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the KKK have perverted the purpose of the cross. And they have actually perverted it to be a symbol of hatred and division. So we are called to redeem back to God and for God the original intention and purpose of the cross, and that is reconciliation. So I want you to think about this. The cross has two beams, one that is vertical and one that is horizontal. That is not insignificant. The purpose of the cross is that it actually reconciles us back to God through Jesus Christ, and it, re- it reconciles us one to another through Jesus Christ. That through Christ we actually become one together with God and one together with one another regardless of what had formerly separated us. And so this diverse unity is really, really profound throughout the scripture. The third evidence we talked about in this series was love. And that's such a significant evidence that Jesus is still alive. Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, Jesus did not tell us not to hate our enemies. That's not what he said. He said, love your enemies. And there's a big difference. Did you know that? It's one thing for someone to say to you, stop being unkind to that person. It's an entirely different thing to start being kind to them, right? This is not about being neutral. It's not about just saying, I don't have hatred in my heart toward them. Rather, it is about, and what Jesus said and calls us to, is to actually go a step above and beyond. Not hating is a good thing. But loving is a God thing. And you and I are most like God when we choose to love those who aren't going to love us in return. The fourth evidence that we talked about in this series was the new birth. Jesus said that unless you are born again, you cannot see or experience the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He was not referring there to us being physically reborn, but rather that we would experience a second birth, a spiritual birth, a birth that can only come by the Spirit of Christ. And that birth that comes actually makes us a new creation. It sets us up for life eternal. So here's the gospel message. This is what you need to understand about the significance of the new birth. If you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you'll die once. That's what the scripture teaches. So we are called to be born again. Now this morning, we're going to add another evidence to this body of evidence that we're collecting. And this one is often easily overlooked in scripture. But it's really significant. In fact, this evidence is so significant that I'm going to break this into two weeks. We're not going to get through it all this morning. So, this morning we're going to talk about it, but also then we're going to come back next weekend and pick this particular theme up again. The fifth evidence in this body of evidence is the name of Jesus. The name. Of Jesus. Now, I'm going to make an assumption this morning. And and I'm not going to ask you to verify this assumption. I'll let that be for you to do. But here's my assumption I'm going to make this morning. I'm going to assume that if you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower, then you pray. I'm going to make that assumption, that you pray, okay? And if you pray as a Christian, as a Christ follower, then you pray in the name of Jesus, right? Or you pray in Jesus' name, or you pray in the name of Christ, or in Christ's name. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why in the world do I do that? Like a lot of people actually say those words but they really don't even understand the profound significance of what they're saying when they use his name. But there's a reason. And Scripture makes it very clear about the reason that we are given this name of Jesus and why his name is an evidence that Jesus is still very much alive and present with us here on this earth. So let me say this this morning. To to really appreciate the significance of this evidence, you've got to first understand the significance of his name. That's where we have to begin. So to understand why in the name of Jesus matters so much, we've got to first understand and appreciate the name. So let's begin this morning where we left off last weekend. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 31. The angel Gabriel says this to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. God was very specific about his name. So, the name Jesus literally means God our Savior. But there is another part of this name that the Gospels point us to that we often use. So, we often use the term Jesus Christ. So, there are really two parts to the name of Jesus that provide us the title. Both a name and a title for who he is. So, listen, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? It's not his last name. It, It is literally Jesus the Christ. Or Christ Jesus. So it's pointing to both a name and a title. And what's so significant about this is that this title, Christ, is a title that literally means anointed one of God. So he is not only God our salvation, but he has been anointed by God for those things. And so much more. So there's a passage of scripture I want to take us to this morning that has often and most often been used to speak about salvation. So I've heard a lot of people through the years point to this verse and these verses as salvation scriptures. In fact, that's how it's presented in many churches. And and here's the the passage, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 8. This is speaking of Jesus. Being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore. Whenever you hear the word therefore, it may not sound like a very spiritual word, but it's a significant word. Because it means as a result of or because of this. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name of Jesus and gave him a name the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father Jesus was not given a name he was given the name that's significant And though this verse actually does speak to this idea of surrender of our life to Christ, it really doesn't go far enough. Because this passage is really not about salvation exclusively. This passage is about the sovereignty and the superiority of Christ over all things. What the Bible here teaches is it is not about his power and authority on earth alone. It's also very much about his power and authority under the earth and in heaven. That's profound. It means that the name that is ascribed to Jesus is a name that gives him power and authority over everything seen and unseen, created and uncreated. This is a kingdom passage. This is a passage that is pointing us clearly to the power and authority that is in the name and and resident in the person of Jesus Christ. And, And as the king of God's kingdom, Jesus then is given and in him is contained all the power and authority over everything and everyone. It's significant. So think of it this way. Jesus is ascribed a name at birth that is anointed at his death and exalted at his resurrection. He's ascribed the name by God, by the angel, through the angel, the name Jesus, who is the Christ, that is actually anointed at death and then exalted and lifted up at resurrection. High above, far above every other name, that, that name, the name, everything else must conform. Now this idea of Jesus, God the Savior, our Savior, being the anointed one of God is really powerful. And in the New Testament, we have in the Gospels these prophetic moments that are pointing us to this reality. So just about a week before Jesus' arrest and subsequent crucifixion, he's actually at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Two sisters and a brother with whom he had become very close friends. And something really significant happens in this home, it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 12. And here's what it says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that he had raised from the dead. Now, I said this at week number one. Lazarus was not resurrected, Lazarus was resuscitated. He was given his old life back, he'd die again. That was different from what happened to Jesus. A dinner is prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. And notice this she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should not have been sold and the money, or it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Now notice how Jesus replies, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Jesus knew something that none of them knew. Because this same Mary was later going to come to the tomb with the same anointing spices. But the body of Jesus would not be there. This was an opportunity for him to have a actual, symbolic, tangible way of saying, you are anointed in your death. As the son of God. You are going to be exalted at the resurrection. But this was a prophetic anointing. That was placed on Jesus' feet. And here's what I love about that word anointing. The word literally means God soaked. Here's what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is God-soaked. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible actually teaches that every follower of Jesus is also God-soaked. Did you know that's what the word Christian means? The word Christian means Christ-soaked. And that word Christian is used in the scripture. First time it ever appears is in the book of Acts. When it says in Antioch, they were first called or referred to as Christians. The Passion Translation gives us insight into it. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first revealed as anointed ones. Guess what? Not only is Christ, God-soaked, but because we are Christ followers, we are here on this earth, soaked by Christ, and something happens when we carry his presence with us. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 20, we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. What Jesus did for God on this earth when he came to be his representative, to speak on behalf of God, we now do as Christ-soaked followers who actually get to also represent and be his ambassadors, as though he's speaking through our lips directly. It's powerful. It's really significant. You see, we do not understand how powerful what we say and what we do is what when we do it in the name of Christ. And the Bible is so filled with this. We're just not gonna have time this morning to get into all of it. But I want to give you two evidences and two things that point directly to what happens in the name of Christ. First of all, in the name of Jesus, Jesus shows up when we gather together in his name. Look at Matthew's gospel, this is, this is really significant. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Many of us here have heard this before, and I don't think we really understand how significant this is, where two or three meet together in my name. What's it say? I am there with them. I am present with them. Now, does this mean that he isn't present with us when we're not together? It's not what it's teaching. And there is a mystical nature to what's happening here, but I really believe that what it's pointing to is it's pointing to the Trinitarian essence of God himself. God never operates independent of himself. So God the Father never operates independent of God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's important for us to understand that when we gather together in the name of Christ, that we are in essence cooperating with and representing that Trinitarian nature of God right here on earth. That we're two, and we only need two because God's with us, or three, or four, or a hundred, or a thousand gather together in his name, his presence Manifest presence is tangibly there. Let me say, he's here this morning. He is right here among us because we're gathered in his name. And not only does he show up when we gather, but he shows up when we ask, when we pray. John's Gospel, chapter 16. Verses 24 through 27, ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively, and I'll tell you plainly all about the Father then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. So here's what Jesus is saying to them. Even though I'm your advocate going to stand before God at his right hand on your behalf, and I'm gonna be praying and interceding for you, you don't really just need to depend on that alone. In other words, you can come directly to the Father, through my name. And because he loves you, because he loves me, you have direct access to me through the name of Jesus. So that when we ask in his name, we not only receive his responsiveness to us, but in turn we also receive abundant joy. Now, this power and authority of the name of Christ is so profound That Next weekend, we're going to unpack this, those two concepts, much more specifically. And the Bible is filled with illustration and of words that help us understand the significance of his name. But for this morning, let me leave it with this. We are gathered here this morning in his name, which means the spirit and the presence of Jesus is among us. And whenever we gather and whenever we speak in his name, he's there among us. That's not just a good idea. That's not just an ethereal thought. That is the promise of Scripture. Which is why how we treat each other, how our relationships are handled horizontally, matter to God's kingdom. They matter to the kingdom of God because he is here and he's present. Let me just pray and then I want to share one final thing before we close this morning. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son, that is God our Savior and is literally God-soaked, anointed. We now as followers of the anointed one are also Christ-soaked. And so as the first century church was revealed as anointed ones, may we understand in humility and grace what it means to operate and to live as anointed ones. Help us to hold that beautiful promise before you in humility and in love and grace. Bless each of us, I pray. And help us, I pray, to grasp how far, how wide, and how deep is the significance of the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.